Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to part two of The Neon on Game of Thrones. We've had a lot already happen, but there's more to be getting on with. So let's fast forward. So when did the Roman Empire finish? Well, if you're going to say the sacking of Rome, what about the Eastern Roman Empire? It really was Roman for a time. But then, after Heraclius, they all start talking Greek. You start getting Greek signage everywhere. And although to their dying days, they considered themselves the descendants of the Romans. But now we have the Eastern Roman Empire being nibbled away by Islamic powers. And, you know, they eventually capture Jerusalem and they start heading north. And now we're talking about generations after generations. And so we come to the Crusades. So it is weird to think the Crusades were happening at the same time as the Roman Empire. And there are much dispute about exactly what started the first crusade. Uh, there's the famous Council of Clermont, where you have uh, Pope Urban II uh, sort of declaring this sort of like, you know, we have lost the Holy Land to the Muslims and we need to claim it back. Uh, which is really weird because it had never been a territory of the Catholic Empire uh, and it had been it had fallen centuries earlier to um, to the Islamic Caliphate, as I've just pointed out. So quite why then and there they, they've got to be in their bonnet about, you know, we need to get it back for all the Christians of the world. Uh, there are some revisionist historians who go, well, hang on, there, there was a massacre uh, of Christians um, and you're right. And that happened 22 years earlier. Now, news traveled slowly in Europe, but not that slowly. Okay, there had to be something else. And what is most likely is we know that there was a group of ambassadors coming from the Eastern Roman Empire, which from now on I'm going to call the Byzantine Empire, which basically was a chunk of the Balkans, certainly Constantinople and most of modern day Turkey. Okay, that's as far as they'd they were ruling nowadays still a sizable chunk of land but certainly not the empire as it had once been and we know that these ambassadors went and met the pope and shortly after that we have the crusade being being uh, decreed so it seems doing a little bit of historical guesswork although we cannot definitively prove this it seems and certainly this was the relationship that was ultimately created during the first crusade is the Byzantine Empire was worried about these this new group of Muslims. They're not Arabs. They are ethnically different, called the Turks. And the Turks were t- carving off great chunks of 
Anatolia, modern-day Turkey. Spoiler alert, it ends up going to them anyway. And what the First Crusade did is it arrived in Constantinople and it headed east and it started taking back all the territory of modern-day Turkey up to and including the city of key city of Antioch was meant to be returned to the Byzantine Empire. And all of it was up to, but not including Antioch, where this Norman guy who'd been fighting the Byzantines for a year said, I like Antioch, I'm having it for myself. And that's kind of what stopped the hissy fits of the Byzantines. And they sort of said, well, we've been betrayed, this isn't part of the deal, you've broken the deal, bad faith, bad faith, etc. Which led to these two fundamentally different Christian groups. The Byzantine Empire was orthodox, and the um, the Crusaders, they were what we would now nowadays call Catholic, but let's call them Western Christians. So now this sort of led, led to bad blood between the two. But they did ultimately work together very effectively for, the, for most part of the First Crusade. And what the First Crusade did is it, it suddenly carved out in the Middle East this, these Christian kingdoms. We have the Principality of Antioch, we have the County of Edessa, we have the Kingdom of Jerusalem, we have the County of Tripoli, okay? But, 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 the Crusaders walked in at a time when accidentally, inadvertently, just one of those quirks of history, there was a bit of a power vacuum in the Islamic world at that time as well. There was no great Islamic empire sitting there waiting for these Crusaders. There were lots of little local warlords and chieftains, um, and therefore the Crusaders got to fight relatively small group after relatively small group, which allowed them to, to thrive, basically. But what's interesting is by the time we get to the Third Crusade, things have changed quite dramatically. The Crusader states are arguing with each other all the time, but the Muslim realms have been um, uh, have been unified under this Kurdish general called uh, Yusuf Saladin, which we now call Saladin. Okay, and what I find fascinating about that is here is. A great little military test for you, okay? Because fundamentally, what the Crusader states always lacked was manpower. Now, they could get sort of free soldiers from something called the military orders, the, these groups of, in essence, knights that instead of, they were like monks. They lived together as brothers. They lived in essentially a monastic tradition, but rather than praying for God, they fought for God. And they were the best equipped, most terrifying, heavy, heavy, uh, cavalry of the West, and some of these names you will have heard of, like the Hospitallers and the Templars and the uh, Teutonic Knights. You had these guys who were very well funded, but never necessarily hugely huge in numbers, and you had the local princes with their own retinues, and you could hire some mercenaries too. But fundamentally, you could either have enough soldiers to, f to pull together a formidable army to fight a pitch battle, or you had enough soldiers to garrison all the mega castles of the Middle East, which the Crusades, Crusader states had some of the best castles ever built before the age of gunpowder, okay? So you have one or the other choice. Now, it, you might be thinking, well, it's safe to say behind the city walls, but of course, if you fall, if that castle falls, nobody's coming to get you and helping you. So you could have Saladin nibbling away at all these different places. But if you throw everybody into a, into a battle, if, if you lose that battle, you have lost the garrisons of all these key places and you're going to lose almost everything. So which one do you go for? Saladin is a clear and present threat. 
and there was a huge argument amongst all the different uh, all the different groups there the hospitalers the templars the king of jerusalem the, the princes and all and so on and so forth there was a huge argument what do we do with uh, against saladin he is clearly dangerous so what would you do would you just sort of sit behind your walls and pray quite literally hoping that he's going to turn his his power on on uh, perhaps a city or a, a castle that isn't yours or are you going to group together and try and knock out that killer blow which is undeniably high risk in the end against an awful lot of people's wishes they pulled together the army and saladin fought them at the battle of hatin and this is one of the greatest battles in the middle ages because saladin played it perfectly the Muslim cavalry was light. They were horse archers. Large, uh, or more often than not, uh, they were riding female mares. Um, so they were smaller, lighter, faster, more maneuverable. And the West had the heavy cavalry, the the big guns, the sort of medieval version of a tank. Okay, riding largely male horses. Um, you know, you have a, a guy dripping in armor, uh, a huge lance, shield, uh, and what you can see again and again in the crusader era is if that heavy cavalry could engage the light cavalry they went through it like a hot knife through butter but if the muslim cavalry was able to maneuver the heavy cavalry of the west would just run out of steam and also it is worth pointing out that the armor of the days what you see again and again, which they get wrong in the movies, is uh, you see, well, first of all, it is actually called male armor rather than chain mail, but I'm going to use the term chain mail because you know what I mean. Again and again, you see people wearing chain mail over like a shirt or something, and particularly you see, see it just straight on their head, in which case that isn't going to protect you at all. Because if somebody slams down an, uh, a sword on the top of your head, yes. The chainmail has stopped the sword from actually cutting your skin, but it will have caused uh, blunt force trauma through that. So actually, what they had underneath this um, this chainmail, as I get te technically it's called mail armor, okay, you know, for those of you who are geeks out there, uh, they would have a padded gambeson, which was in essence a duvet, which acted like a shock absorber. So if you so you do see these medieval manuscripts, and it looks like they're wearing crash helmets almost, and that's exactly what they are. So if I do swing that sword and hit you on the head. Not only will it not cut you because of the chain mail, but also it's not going to give you blunt force trauma because it's absorbed by that gambeson underneath it, that padded jacket. However, I think you can work out, hang on, they're in the Middle East, right? And they're wearing basically a duvet, yeah? And they're covering that with, with metal that's going to heat up in the sun. Uh-huh. Yes, that's the problem. And so Saladin made sure that the battle, well, he couldn't make sure exactly what day it was, but the battle happened during the heat of a Middle Eastern summer. So imagine walking around in a duvet with armor put on top of that. And then what Saladin also did is he poisoned all the wells towards Hattin. So there was no way that you could quench that thirst. And you're going to be sweating pounds of sweat uh, as you march through the, the, the sweltering summer heat. And he set fire to all shrubs that he could get uh, he, in the area. So there was a heat haze and smoke, choking smoke. So that there were, you know, in the chronicles, there are actual descriptions of these men being driven half insane through thirst before they've even started fighting. Then at Hattin, so 
yeah, so Saladin basically, but Hattin, the horns of Hattin are basically a, a, a mountain, so it's sort of two mountains which will have two peaks, and it sort of looks almost like devil's horns, almost. And at, on the slopes of Hattin, Saladin had put his uh, army out, and then... Um, uh, and then the Crusaders come and attack, uh, come and attack. Now, this is all kind of shown and sort of, it's not entirely historically accurate, in the, uh, in the movie Kingdom of Heaven by Ridley Scott. And if you like, the one thing I'm super cross about is when I read about the Battle of Hattin, I thought this is the most cinematic. There's so many battles are actually just a huge bun fight in the middle of a field. They aren't particularly beautiful in terms of the maneuvers and things like that. But the Battle of Hattin is genuinely cinematic, and this genuinely set, this movie is genuinely set at this time. And yet, I know it's for a creative decision, and it works well in the movie. But from a historian, it's like so they show the knights coming. They even show them with the the piece of the real cross that they were carrying at the front of their army to protect them, have Jesus on their side. And then they cut to the end of the battle, and it's like, no, why did you? Oh, it's such a brilliant battle because what happens is. Those knights, those Christian knights, they charge up that slope at all the at, at all the Muslim archers. And what do the Muslim archers do? They move from one side to the other. They basically split themselves, like the parting of the sea. And so the Christian knights charge up the slopes. They're already getting sapped of strength. And then they run through, missing the uh, the Muslim cavalry. And then the cavalry closes the gate behind them. And now you have the heavy cavalry separated from the rest of the Christian army and they're massacred. This was a huge defeat for for uh, the Christians and Saladin. Cutting a long story short, there's so many stories I can tell you around this. I'm not going to. But, the, but then Saladin basically rolls his way across the Crusader states until there's basically um, only a couple of cities. Well, basically, there's the siege of Acre uh, and one other city, and that's it. All the other areas, Jerusalem falls to him. Everything else falls. Now, what happens is Richard Lionheart turns up and he manages to reclaim some of the territory. It's not all of it, and he's unable to get to recapture Jerusalem. And this is all happening in the eleven um, in the eleven nineties. Okay, early eleven nineties. So, if you like, the the Crusader states are reprieved. Saladin dies. Blah 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 blah. But then in 1204, so barely a decade later, we have the Fourth Crusade, and the Fourth Crusade fails to make it to the Middle East. Uh, again, cutting a long story short, because the Venetians were meant to be paid a huge amount of money to ship everybody to the Middle East, because do you know what? Walking to the Middle East is hard. Let's put them on ships, shall we? But not enough people turn up, so Venice goes, you owe us money. And the Crusaders go, we don't have any money. And they went, right, fine, so you're gonna, we're going to use your army as payment. And so they attack um, two key cities that are seen as competitive to the Venetians. One is a place called Zara in modern-day Croatia, which was a Christian city. And during this siege, many Crusaders quit, because this is disgusting. This is not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up to fight other Christians. And the, the actual defenders hung sheets with the sign of the cross on them to tell everybody, we're Christian. We're on your side. Stop attacking us. And the whole the whole uh, crusade was actually excommunicated by the Pope going, this is disgusting. This is the exact opposite of what we're meant to be doing. Um, but sort of like, I guess, calmer heads prevailed, or if you like, people argued a lot. But then most critically, they went on from Zara, which they captured, to Constantinople, the capital city of the Byzantine Empire, the hub of Orthodox Christianity. And again, cutting a long story short, the Crusaders capture it. 
And so, for a time, the Byzantine Empire falls. And for about 50 years, we have the Latin Empire of Constantinople, which, of course, could help out the Crusader states. But, unbelievably, the Byzantines managed to make it back again. And there's a coup, and the, the Latins are basically, or the Franks, as they're sometimes called, are thrown out about 50 years later. Talking about the mid-1300s. And yet, so you think, okay, fine. So by the time the Latins, the Crusaders have taken it over, it's like, well, that's the end of the Byzantine Empire. It's like, what, they're back again? Well, clearly by now they are much, much denuded. But here's the thing. On and on they go, arguing with each other, complaining with each other. And the same thing happened with the Crusader states. Now, the Crusader states fell first. In the 1290s, basically, there was a riot in the last Crusader city called Acre, which I'd already mentioned. It got reclaimed by Richard Lionheart. It was the last Crusader city. And by now, again, you have this unified Islamic empire surrounding it called the Mamluks. Okay, they are based in Egypt. And basically there's a riot in Arca where some Muslims die and so the um, the the Mamluk sultan uh, turns around to them and says come on guys what, what what's going on you know uh, I you need to explain yourselves and the, the you know this one city now it was an important city an important trade city and it had very impressive double walls okay um, and there was a huge argument about this internally. It's like the simplest thing to do, the thing that will preserve Acre, is to say, yep, there was this riot. Yes, some Muslims died. Here you go. Here's the five guys who, who killed the Muslims. You do what you do, with, what you want to do with them. But there was an argument about this. Should we release them? That's sort of claiming that he's got power over our city. Okay, fine, but maybe this buys us some time. Oh, but maybe we should raise an, uh, uh, an army against this entire empire. Or maybe we should call for a new crusade. Oh, wait, what's that? The, the, uh, the um, Pope's busy with uh, somewhere else. Uh, okay, fine. So he doesn't seem to care about the, the, the plight of Christians in the Middle East himself at the moment. So there's just this absolute dithering going on in the face of this clear, and present danger and in the end because the crusaders couldn't get their acts together that's what triggers the mamluks raising this one last final army that crushes Acre. it is a long and epic siege i've actually written a historical novel about that that's yet to be released and i sort of tell the story from the point of view of this person who, who never existed but you know it's the true story of the siege of Acre. you know i get all the history right and including some of the really unbelievable stuff where when i get this get this so you know, the entire Mameluk army arrives. The, 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 the people in Arca know that there's no crusade coming to save them. And the Mamluks say, let's debate this. Let, let's, let's, ha let's, let's talk about terms, shall we, of your surrender. And while they're talking, one of the catapults on the walls of Arca fires on its own and nearly kills you know, both the, the ambassadors from the city of Arca, but also the Mamluk leader as well, which leads to clearly to some bad blood. Now, nobody knows to this day whether that was somebody just feeling lucky or just a pure accident. But, you know, this is why I like history, because you couldn't make this stuff up. But even with this point where it's like, clearly we need to play ball with these people who are far more powerful than us. Now let's argue and, oh, oh, what's that? We're all dead or we've all been forced to flee the city. A lot of people went from there to Cyprus, which was still a Christian stronghold at that time. 
So this is all happening in the 1290s, which by now the Byzantine Empire is, is back again, but it's, it's wheezing. And if you like, I hate late Byzantine history because it's just lurching from one disaster to another. It, 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 there is no renaissance, no light at the end of the tunnel after 1204. It is just mismanagement followed by disaster. And again, like the Crusader states, this is not just the fault of just external forces, but all the squabbling that's going on. This is, you know, there, there were multiple emperors who were maimed or blinded by, like, people in their own family. There's famously, this is before 1204, the mother blinded her own son because she didn't want him to become emperor uh, just you know this is the crazy stuff where it's like this you're in it for yourself you, you clearly the concept of like trying to be a noble ruler that's evaporated by now and even when we get to the famous 1453 by now we have the rise of the ottoman empire um under mehmet the second he's only 21 years old when he's fighting when he's uh, besieging Constantinople in 1453, where you know you have the last uh, the last emperor of the Byzantine Empire, Constantine the Eleventh, Constantine the Eleventh. Again, like Romulus, he was the first and last emperor of the West. Here we got Constantine, the first and last emperor of the East. And again, it was so foretold, but nobody can find that prophecy until after the events actually happened it's very easy to write a prophecy after the history's happened um but you know, to, to give you an idea he's he's now a saint in the uh, orthodox church and he's also referred to as the marble um uh, emperor because it is told that he didn't die during the siege he was turned into a statue and when the the when constantinople next needs him he will he will basically be resurrected i mean this is Game of Thrones levels of fantasy, which people talk about. And he was referred to again during the Greek War of Independence, like, well, he'll be coming back again. Spoiler alert, he didn't, because that's a, not a thing. So, yeah, so even though in the eyes, you know, we have this huge Ottoman army camped outside our walls. Oh, they're using gunpowder. Not the first ever use of gunpowder, but the first, this was the first pivotal victory thanks to cannons uh you know, gunpowder technology 1453 the siege of constantinople and again you can argue oh this is muslims versus christians yeah but the west didn't come to help you know there, were, there was a smattering of a few things that came over but there was no great crusade to try and stop the ottomans um and even you know Con uh, constantine the, the last emperor he tried to unify the churches again saying look let's all try and be christian brothers you know we'll forget about being orthodox we'll all become catholic just come and help no interest. It does show you how personal interest trumps uh, you know, religious points of view or political considerations when it when push comes to shove, basically. And again, so getting away from this narrative of like, oh, you know, the, the, all the Ottomans want to do is just you know conquer and destroy. No, there was a debate. There was again negotiations, and Constantine offered Mehmet everything except ruling constantinople he goes look we will pay you to to run constantinople i will give you the outer fortifications so we can't possibly be a threat all the lands that are immediately in the vicinity they're yours he goes but the one thing i cannot do is give you this city but that's the thing that fundamentally Mehmet wanted. So, it, but it does show you. Okay, there may not be an agreement, but it does show you both sides were talking. You know, people weren't just beheading each other for the sake of it or things like that. 
But here you go. You've got the end of the Eastern Roman Empire. You've got the end of the Western Roman Empire. You've got the end of the Crusader states as well. All of these are signs that everybody involved knew that there was a very big external threat. And, and actually, fundamentally, the best thing for the area, the territory, the empire would be to band together. But that's not what happened. Now, if you want to continue this conversation, by the way, you can always uh, reach us on We're Neon Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Jem Daduchu, and funnily enough, you can find Jem Daduchu on Twitter as well. I've got a history page called History Gems with a G on Facebook. And there's um, uh, neonpodcast.com. Um, that's if you want to get all the podcasts. Um, but we've got Patreon page as well, uh, forward slash neonpodcast, patreon.com forward slash uh, neonpodcast. You know, if you can support us, that helps us do the, the research, improving the sound recording. And also there are other sort of perks to being part of that as well. Please, if you can, do do that. But, you know, that's a little bit of a, a bit of a talk. So going back to Game of Thrones, what I've always loved about Game of Thrones compared to dramas set in real history is if you're naughty in real in, in dramas set in real history, you can instantly go into Wikipedia and ruin what's going to happen next. But if you know the history, I mean, there's some bits of history that are incredibly famous. For example, you know, Julius Caesar, you know, and, you know, you know, sort of like the doomed nature of the relationship with, well, but both he's going to be assassinated, but also Cleopatra's going to commit suicide with Mark Antony. Uh, you know, there, there are just some bits of history that are so famous that you know where it's all going. And uh, But the great thing about Game of Thrones is if you're watching it the first time all the way through, you're not sure who's going to win. You're not going to... Sh- and, and, and it's very good at showing you the shifting of the power. Houses rise and fall, which is exactly what happened in history. Be it the, you know, the they, people keep referring it back to the War of the Roses, and it's a little bit like that. But it's, you know, I guess the Crusader states is a pretty good analogy. Uh, clearly the Dothraki are sort of riffing on the Mongols, you know, so there are, there are lots of other cultures going on there too. And I applaud Game of Thrones. I mean, it's brilliantly acted. Uh, you know, the production values have just gone up and up and up to the point where by the time you get to about season four, you're seeing battle scenes which really are up there with what you would see in the cinema and I believe that some of the episodes have actually been shown in the cinema um, so you know I'm a huge fan of Game of Thrones obviously look uh, as my kids say oh you know they keep hearing about the dragons and the you know the battles and and you know everybody's talking about it and they go oh can't, can't we see it? it's like no you know in America be it's R in Britain it's eight rated 18 it's like it's very hard anyway Um, So yes, I thought I'd leave it there. Game of Thrones is a great example of real history lurking just under the surface of something that in theory should have no history there. But people have clearly been reading history books and and are fans of certain eras and are bringing it to life in their own unique way. That's it. That's it this time from Neon. Thank you so much for listening. More Neon podcasting goodness heading your way soon. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.